0: And that's where most people sort of imagine that the story ends. Uh, But Jonah actually has this unexpected and often overlooked fourth chapter that we just read. Uh, And the problem with Jonah chapter four is pretty obvious, isn't it? The problem is Jonah himself. Uh, He's a deeply unattractive and unsympathetic character. You know, he doesn't get what he wants and he wants to die. And then he does get what he wants and he becomes all smug and, and happy, and then he doesn't get what he wants again, and he wants to die again. You know, you know, it's tantrum, selfish tantrum. You know, uh, Jonah comes across more as a sort of melodramatic, spoiled child than a great missionary prophet. And it's easy to look down on Jonah and to think, uh, what could we possibly have to learn from him? And that's part of the point. The contrast between uh, what Jonah is concerned about and what God is concerned about, well, it couldn't be more clear, could it? God is concerned for the lost. God is compassionate towards them. He desires to see them repent and to be saved from his righteous anger at their wicked rebellion. And Jonah is concerned about, well, not that, that's for sure. And that begs the question, doesn't it, what am I concerned for in my life? Do my concerns match God's concerns or am I perhaps a little bit more like Jonah than I would like to admit? And so I want to talk to you about three things today from this passage. Uh, Firstly, I want to talk to you about God's concern for the lost from verses 1 to 4 and then God's concern for the found in verses 5 to 9. And then lastly, I want to talk about God's concern for the found's concern for the lost, right at the end there in verses 10 and 11. And you've got it all in the outline uh, that you hopefully received as you you came in. Do please stick your finger in Jonah chapter 4. That's where we'll be this morning. But firstly then, God's concern for the lost. Because the most incredible thing happened at the end of Jonah 3, Jonah chapter 3 verse 10. The kind of thing that we just don't hear about today. A whole city, a a wicked city, a pagan city calls out to God for mercy and God shows them mercy. And it is, as many have said, perhaps one of the most unbelievable things about the book of Jonah. Uh, Even more so than Jonah surviving in the belly of a fish for three days, here is a whole city of wicked people repenting. Uh, And because all Nineveh changes their direction, God changes his policy. God shows them great compassion. It's not that somehow God was caught by surprise. No, God's plan was always to bless Nineveh. That's why he sent Jonah in the first place. In fact, when we read back there in chapter 3, verse 10, if you've got your Bibles open, when we read there that God relents or God repents, well, it is one of those moments in the Bible that is a very important reminder to us that God does hear and answer our prayers. But in this case, it's also, it's not a surprise that suddenly happened to God. It's not as if somehow God now has to abandon plan A and kind of move to plan B. That's not what's going on here at all. In fact, it's actually the other way around. It's that God has abandoned plan B, the judgment that he threatened at the beginning of Jonah, and in order that he might stick with plan A, which was that he might bless them because that is, after all, what God's plan always is. God takes no pleasure in judgment. God always wants people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse four. And that's one of the wonderful things about the story of Jonah. In fact, it's, it's one of the wonderful things about the whole Bible. Uh, the people that God blesses are always such terrible people, such undeserving people. If it was only ever good people who found their way into God's friendship, then we would be worried, wouldn't we, if we had any sense of our own wickedness, our own undeservedness. You know, I can see how all those wonderful saints make it, but what about sinners like me? But the Bible is actually full of people whom God loves, whom God forgives, whom God has mercy on them, even though they are wicked sinners. The Bible is full of rotten people who God shows His grace to. And if there is hope for them, then there's hope for us, isn't there? Such is the deep grace of our God who sent His Son to die for us. And so, for the people of Nineveh, God's mercy is excellent news. But for Jonah, it's terrible news which is very strange. Uh, Personally, one preacher to another. I'd be very happy to uh, preach a sermon of eight words and have 120,000 people convert. Uh, But Jonah finds God's mercy maddening. In Jonah's world, people like the Ninevites, they don't deserve salvation. Why should people like them get all the benefits of knowing God and a friendship with him? It's just not fair is Jonah's complaint uh, he, and so he takes his complaint to the Lord in verse 2 Jonah prayed to the Lord isn't this what I said Lord when I was still at home this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love a God who relents from sending calamity now Lord take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live I mean well done Christine this morning. You know, I think those few verses is one of the hardest Bible reading challenges you can ever have, uh, much harder than a whole passage full of Hebrew names, uh, because how do you read verse 2 angry? Uh, Because that's what Jonah is, Jonah is kind of frothing at the mouth, he's spitting angry with with what God has done, he's angry enough to die, he's furious with God. And yet everything that verse 2 says Is something that's beautiful and wonderful. God doesn't give wicked people like us what we deserve. God is slow to anger. Yes, he does have a place for justice and for anger and for wrath but his anger is slow and measured. Forty days he gave Nineveh to repent and the slowness of God's anger, the patience of the Lord is an opportunity for salvation, 2 Peter chapter 3. It leaves time for repentance, time to turn back to God, to to seek his mercy. And this truth was the pride and joy of God's people. It was at Mount Sinai that God revealed his godness, God revealed his glory to Moses. Moses. He put Moses in the cleft in the rock and and spoke to him in, in 34, verse 6, Exodus 34, verse 6, and said, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's the glory of God. That's what makes God God, not his power, not his judgment. Not his anger, his love, his compassion, his forgiveness, his deep grace. That's what makes our God worthy of our worship. And of course the rest of the scriptures is a wonderful reminder. There's many wonderful reminders of the steadfast love of our God and how his compassion and his concern for the lost are praised. Places like uh, Psalm 86 or Psalm 103 or 145, or actually a fair few of the Psalms, to tell you the truth. Uh, This is a beautiful thing about our God. Do everyone accept Jonah? What causes delight to many makes Jonah mad. And how different is the slowness of God's anger? to the quickness of Jonah's. Now, of course, at one level, Jonah is entirely correct. What happened to Nineveh wasn't fair, it wasn't just. They did deserve God's punishment, and now God is giving them something that they do not deserve. But what happened to Nineveh was better than justice. It was mercy. The least that anyone can ever expect from God is justice. But the most that anyone can hope for from God is mercy. But what's so ridiculous about Jonah's anger is that Jonah himself has experienced God's mercy. I mean, has he forgotten the fish from a few weeks ago? Because we haven't. You know, the moment when he, Jonah, the runaway prophet who was being pursued by the storm of God's anger was saved by God's mercy, when he, Jonah, received what he did not deserve. Jonah is happy with God when God is showing him mercy and love, but not when God is showing it to others. And so God comes to Jonah in verse 4 and actually asks, is it right for you to be angry? Uh, And at this point, uh, kind of me as a a reader, you know, I kind of want to yell at the page and say, no, Jonah, you've got no right to be angry, you're being an idiot, repent, you know, ask God for mercy once again, show some humility, man. Now is the time to acknowledge the greatness of God and even if you don't understand, at least plead with God for understanding and remember, you need God's mercy as much as anyone else. But instead, Jonah, he walks off in a sulk. He refuses to answer. And we are left in no doubt that God is concerned for the lost. But we're also left in no doubt that God's prophet does not share God's concern to our great distress. But secondly, then, God's concern for the found. God's concern for found people, found people like Noah, who is one of God's people. Because some people assume that uh, Jonah's dislike of God's mercy to the Ninevites is a a sort of an an act of extreme patriotism. Uh, Nineveh was a great city, and it was, or at least it was about to become, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And it wouldn't be long before the Assyrian Empire became the enemies of God's people. They would uh, end up conquering the, the northern ten tribes of Israel, perhaps as soon as 30 or 40 years after the book of Jonah. And so some people claim that Jonah here, he's upset with God showing mercy on these people who will one day be Israel's enemies. Uh, But even if that were true, uh, love for your own country's interests seems like a very weak excuse for you to desire an entire city full of people to be both spiritually and eternally lost. But the bottom line is I just don't think it is true. And I think it's the lesson of the plant in verses 5 to 9. Uh, that shows us that Jonah is no patriot uh, and the plan shows us not just God's concern for the lost but even God's concern for his own found people. So in verse 5 we find Jonah in the kind of mother of all sulks, he's uh, refused to answer God's question about the rightness of his anger and so Jonah goes out to watch the city of Nineveh. And it's miserable because it's a lose-lose situation. You know, Jonah is watching. He's hoping that something might happen to the city of Nineveh. Uh, but he's already been told by God that nothing's going to happen. God isn't angry with Nineveh anymore. Uh, the only one angry now is Jonah. Uh, and he's sitting there in the hot sun getting angrier by the minute. And so God deals very kindly with Jonah. And he seeks to teach him a lesson that he needs to learn. And this is actually a wonderful moment because here's another point at which the whole book of Jonah could have ended. It could could have finished at verse 5 with Jonah a kind of a withered husk of a man, both spiritually and physically. A sunburnt prophet waiting for a judgment that will never fall. But God doesn't end the story there. And so very kindly, very patiently, God uh, seeks to teach Jonah and us, a lesson that we all need to learn. But because Jonah's not listening to God anymore, now God uses a plant. And so there in verse 6, God provides or appoints a speedy plant to give Jonah some shade. And by the way, that word provide or that word appoint, depending on which translation you're reading, it's actually the exact same word that was used to describe God sending the fish back in chapter 1, verse 17, that saved Jonah. Uh, and suddenly, now that Jonah's got a little bit of shade, a little bit of relief, uh, he's very happy. He, he's exceedingly happy. Uh, the sheltering vine, it's like the best thing that's ever happened to him in his life. Uh, and then the next day, verse 7, God again provides or appoints a worm to kill the vine. Again, it's the same word. And then God provides or appoints a hot, a scorching wind. A, And God God is doing all of these things because it's all part of the lesson that God is seeking to teach. But now that the plant is gone, Jonah wants to die again. And so God asks, verse 9, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And again we, we, as kind of readers, I think we want to scream at the page again and say, Jonah don't say anything this time just be quiet last time you should have spoken but you didn't this time don't say anything Uh, this is the time to be quiet but no of course Jonah doesn't do that Jonah opens his big mouth in verse 9 and he says yes I am angry and I'm so angry I want to die again I like the shade and I don't like that you took it away Ah, Jonah You know, I mean, by now, Jonah has just lost all credibility. This is not someone who cares about uh, global politics or international relations. This is not someone who is a patriot worried about the future of his own people. This is just a selfish child. His whole emotional spectrum is governed by sun hat or sunburn. Jonah is so petty. His world is so small. It's just about how things are going for him on any one particular day. Sun's hot, wish I could die. Shade, happiest day of my life. Shade gone, now I want to die again. Now, because what what lesson could God be trying to teach in all of this? Perhaps it's an ownership lesson. You know, uh, God owns everything. Uh, You know, listen, Jonah, your, your vine is gone, but do you think that I want a whole city that I own to be gone? Of course, it might be a values lesson. Jonah, you're upset at a plant. Should I, God, not be upset at people and the whole life of the city, including the animals? Or perhaps it's a, it's a danger lesson. You know, Jonah, some, some heat came upon you and, and you felt it. You experienced it. It distressed you. Would it distress you to know that the Ninevites were threatened with a very great and eternal heat? Or perhaps it's a protection lesson, Jonah. You you liked being protected. You liked being protected from the sun. Why don't you like it when I protected the Ninevites? You liked it when you were saved. Why don't you want them to be kept safe too? Now, it might be any of those things, but I wonder whether the real lesson is actually a comfort lesson. Jonah liked being comfortable. It was, he was angry when his comfort was taken away. So, chapter 2, verse 6, I thank you, God, when you save me by a fish. Chapter 4, verse 6, I thank you, God, when you shelter me with a vine. But chapter 4, verse 1, I'm angry when you look after these terrible people. And 4, verse 9, I'm angry when you have taken away my sheltering plant. You know, I, I'm thankful, God, when you do things for me, and I'm angry, God, when you do things for others. Yeah, Jonah's saying, "Don't ask me to pay the price. Don't ask me to make sacrifices, because I am pro-comfort and I'm anti-cost. Don't take my shade away. Do take my enemies away. And if you cooperate, I'll be happy with you and I'll praise you. But if you don't, then I'll be unhappy and I'll sulk. But make me comfortable, God, that, that's what I want, that's what I am desire, that's what I'm hoping for, that's my concern, that's what I pray about, that's what I worry about. Um, and that's what can either make me burst with happiness or be so upset that I want to die. You see, Jonah's, Jonah, he, he's, he's selfish, he's petty, he really only cares about the things that affect him. Jonah's temporary comfort is more important to him than a whole city full of people. That are facing judgment Jonah is the very opposite of God's loving concern for the lost of Nineveh and so what do we make of of Jonah here in in this chapter well in the end he's just like all of God's people isn't he he's just like all of us saved and sinful faithful and unfaithful capable of great godliness, capable of great ungodliness. That is the reality of God's found people. We are only God's found people because he found us, not because we found him, not because we earned our place as one of his children, not because we deserved the love that he's lavished upon us, And so we are saved and we are secure, but that's the work of God, not ours. And so we aren't perfect, and we aren't as consistent as we would like to be either. And that's true whether you're sitting in the pew or delivering the sermon. And the real danger for all of God's people is that we can become like Jonah, can't we? The, The blinkers in life can come on very easily. And all we start to care about is ourselves and the way that we perceive that God is treating us our world can become very small and very very us centered our comfort becomes more important than God's loving concern for the lost in fact our, our comfort can just get in the way or, or it can become more important than just loving other people I was thinking about it this week it's often me wanting to be comfortable that gets in the way of me properly loving other people, especially loving people enough to share the gospel with them, which is always uncomfortable, it's always risky. And as long as my comfort is more important to me than other people, other people that God has made, other people that God has loved, other people who are spiritually and eternally lost, then I'm always going to find plenty of reasons to run away from telling people the gospel like Jonah ran away from Nineveh. To keep praying for god's found and yet inconsistent people there is more than a little jonah in all of us because yes god is concerned for the lost but god is also concerned for the found but god is also concerned for the founds concern for the lost that they become more like him so right at the end there, verses 10 and 11, verse 10, uh, God asks one last question of Jonah. He says, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Jonah, you don't want me to be concerned about Nineveh, but shouldn't I be? You love the plant, even though it was here today and gone tomorrow. Your concern is for the temporary comforts of today. Should I not be concerned for the eternal destiny of 120,000 people and a great many cattle too? Should I not love this city? And should you not join me in loving this city? What cost, Jonah, are you willing to pay for the comfort of another? Or do you just want the comfort at the cost of the other? And just as God kind of shoots that arrow of a question at Jonah, uh, Jonah actually disappears from the story. He vanishes and the story ends. Uh, The book is, it's actually, it ends on, on kind of a cliffhanger. We never hear Jonah's response. We never actually hear whether or not Jonah has understood the lesson that God was trying to teach him. And that's when we realise that actually God wasn't aiming at Jonah's heart. God was aiming at our hearts. It's actually in us, through this book of Jonah, that God wants to cultivate a deep concern for the loss of our worlds, of our city, of our suburb, of our street, of our family, of our friends, of our workplace. All along, God has been asking us, Should I not be concerned for the lost? Should I not overflow with compassion for them? Should I not weep for them? Should I not bleed for them? And should you not join me? When the Lord Jesus came, he taught in Luke 15 that for heaven, the best day is a sinner repenting. When the lost are found, God rejoices. And Jesus meant what he said. Jesus had the same concern as God, the same heart of compassion as God. And Jesus was prepared to pay the cost for the comfort of another. Uh, Jesus was prepared to give up all the comforts of heaven, as we will celebrate even in a few weeks' time at Christmas. Jesus was prepared to give up all that was owed him, all of his pleasures, all of his honours, everything. For the sake of the comfort of others jesus was prepared to say my life for yours my life for your life my comfort for your comfort and jesus did overflow with compassion for the lost he wept for the lost he bled for the lost he even died for the lost to bring forgiveness because the work that jesus christ did at the cross was to pay for the sins of the lost so that they might be found so that the guilty might go free so that the wicked like Nineveh and like us might be forgiven and that we might receive what we do not deserve because Jesus took our place Jesus paid the price of compassion though he was rich he became poor so that we, through his poverty, might become deeply and specially and unbelievably and eternally and wonderfully rich. And so here is a book, this book of Jonah, that looks out across our world and sees a world full of lost people. And God says, I want them to be saved. I want to make it possible for them to be saved, so I will send my son. And the heart of God looks out across his church And he sees a whole lot of people who are found and a whole lot of people who are rightly rejoicing in the fact that they've been found. And he asks his found people, do you share my concern for the lost? And slowly, slowly he works on us to make us his servant. To to help us to, to share his concern for others. And we do need to see the Jonah in all of us. We do need to see that at times we're just like Him. Just think about the steps that we take to arrange our comforts, especially at a time when we're we're planning our Christmas celebrations and our holidays and, and all of those sorts of things. You know, and it's so true in our city, isn't it? Lifestyle is the drug of choice for so many people who live in this city. People, they're either here to have it or they're here to earn it. You know, when I first came to, to Perth, I remember everyone asked me, you know, how do you like living in Perth? It's, it's nice, isn't it? It's good here. And now that I've been here for five and a half years, I, now I ask people that question. <laughs> uh, and it is, isn't it? It's a nice town. It's very pleasant. It's very comfortable, this our city. Jonah would have loved it here. <laughs> and that terrifies me. And we're so affluent in our culture, in our world now. We're so affluent, it's easy to just kind of throw Jesus into the shopping cart along with everything else, to think that somehow we might add Jesus to the rest of our life. And so, how different are our concerns from the people around us? How different are our lounge rooms? How different are the insides of our wardrobes? How different are our cars? How different are our dreams? How different are our diaries? Think of all the time and the energy and the money and the genius that we pour into our comforts. If only we applied the same vigour to seeking the lost. If only the best day for us was the day a sinner repented. If only we rejoiced in those days even more than we rejoice in those days when we received some new little temporary comfort. We do need to see the jonah in all of us and so i do want to say here today right now in this church there's there's two types of people some of you are here perhaps for the first time and um, some of you you might be lost in which case you need to turn to christ and you ask for his forgiveness and new life you might be here in church but that doesn't mean that you are in christ You need to turn to Him and and ask to be one of His found people, not because of anything that you have done, but only because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done when He came to save us. Or many of us here, I know, you're you're a found person, you're already trusting and, and living for Christ and yet we need to be people who say to God, would you help me to be increasingly available and compassionate Because I know the tendency of my heart is to become like Jonah. To be concerned about me, to overflow to me and not to overflow to others. And unless your heart works in my heart, it's only going to get worse. And you know that that's the prayer that we all need to pray. We need to see ourselves as who we really are. We need to let Jonah be a mirror to our soul. And then we need to go to the one who can help us. Let's do that now as we pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, in Jesus Christ we have been found and on that day heaven rejoiced. For that, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We praise you that you are the great missionary, the great sender of salvation. It belongs to you, our God. What a joy it is to know that You are slow to anger and rich in compassion, yet, Lord, we cannot read Jonah and not be reminded of our own hearts, not be reminded that our hearts do not always share your concern. And so we pray, Lord, give us hearts like yours, hearts that overflow with compassion and mercy and deep grace. Hearts for whom the best day is the day a sinner repents. Hearts, Lord, that overflow for the lost, just as you overflow to us in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.